Well, greetings and welcome to the dividing line. Uh, do you like my new background? It's it's really very uh, pretty because I'm not in Arizona, as you probably can guess. We are on the road, and currently we are at Grace Bible Theological Seminary in Conway, Arkansas. And behind the camera is uh, a majority, anyways, of the uh, class that we are having this particular uh, intensive weekend. We did uh, eight to four o'clock today. And we'll be doing 8 to 4 tomorrow and 8 to 4 on Saturday. And we're doing early church history. And we're going to have to pick up the pace because, as I knew, I would fall behind. Um, trying to get through AD 600 in that period of time is next to impossible. But we will do our best. And so this is part of the library. And this is part of the – you can, uh, you can if you'd like to, sort of show folks uh, where we are here in, uh, in uh, the sort of central aspect of the seminary. And uh, we've got our library around us here, and uh, it's, uh, what is it, 5 o'clock in the afternoon here in uh, in Arkansas. I had to put the camera on autofocus, so I apologize uh, for the going back and forth, but that's just the way it is. Uh, now, you went that direction, but uh, see, the problem is you folks were smart. You are standing right where we really can't shoot you uh, because you have the sun right behind you, and not only... Can the camera not see you? But I can't either. So like Dr. Johnson here could stick his tongue out at me right now. And I, well, okay, I saw that. <laughs> and I wouldn't I wouldn't really know about it. But um, so we have about I what, what did we have like 23, about 23 students. Um who has who traveled the farthest? I want to know who traveled the farthest. So uh so yeah, go, go ahead, go ahead. This is so this is a squirrel, um, and uh, I, I forgot to – I was going to tell everybody at the beginning of class that if you're using an iPad, please be very careful around this individual because he is a convicted iPad killer. No, no, the iPad was fine. It doesn't matter it, if you're an iPad and you have a tire track on you, you're pretty much out of the game, okay? <laughs> that, 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 that's all there is to it. Um, Squirrel, Gene Pliat, you know, I can't think of anybody else in reformed Twitterdom that has managed to take a common animal and turn it into my own name. You notice that? That's uh, not your name, it's mine. Well, that's, I, I understand that. I'm just simply saying you, you have done something almost no one else has been able to do. So I'm not sure that that's really what you want to do in life uh, or a great goal, but um, you, you did manage to do it. So, arboreal rodents. Arboreal rodents. Okay. Yes. So we do have some interesting students in our class. Uh, so you came all the way from uh, Superior, Montana. Superior. No one's farther away than uh, Oregon. Oh, ah, there you go. But is when you come from Oregon, are you a student or a refugee? <laughs> a little bit of both, a little bit. Of, now, are you in the part of Oregon that is like completely insane or are there a fair amount of sane people around you? We're just outside the insane. You're just outside the insane. Okay. All right. Good. Because during COVID, we had a bunch of people come down to Apologia from Oregon, Washington, come from California and so you're in the insane metro. Okay, well, all right. Then you are a political refugee. And so uh, uh, I think we should treat you with special honor, uh, especially if we're going to be sending you back to be mistreated amongst um, the craziness and zaniness there. Uh, so where, anybody from Texas? Oh, goodness. All sorts of, well, I know that. Uh, I should have known that one. Um, New Mexico? No, New Mexico, son. New Mexico doesn't like me either, so I, I guess that, that's okay. Uh, I, I know we have one Arizonan, at least one Arizonan. Yep, right there. Um, but you're sort of a refugee too, because you leave you you live near the Harmonic Convergence. Yeah, I live in uh, the vortex zone. Yes. Yeah. Of northern Arizona. Yep. Which is the uh, spiritual capital of oh. America. <laughs> <laughs> For those who can't hear that, um, the the second most beautiful part of Arizona. And if you've never been to Arizona, there's everything in that state. It's not just the Grand Canyon. That's beautiful. I haven't seen the Grand Canyon since 1985, though. 
because I don't want to fight with all of the tourists. <laughs> so if you want to see the Grand Canyon, but from the bottom, there's a place called Sedona. And that's unfortunately been taken over after the great harmonic convergence of 2000, forget what year that was. Yeah, it was. I think it was even late 90s. Was it late 90s? Okay, all right. The new agers moved in and there are crystal shops everywhere. And oh, it is, it is amazing what has happened there. It used to be more known for that beautiful chapel with the cross. Um, now it's known for all the new age wackos. So it's sort of a, evangelism area, uh, to be sure, challenging, but beautiful, beautiful, beautiful area. If you ever get a chance, Sedona is well worth going visiting. It's a beautiful state. So we are here studying early church history. And let me ask uh, you guys uh, who are here, what do you, uh, what do you expect in three days uh, having traveled here in an intensive class? What do you, what do you expect at the end of this? Anyone? We're not telling you because you're the professor. Okay. <laughs> so we don't want to say a word. What were you? Yes, sir. Just having a better understanding of development theology. Development theology. Starting from Christ until, what do you say, about 600? Yep. Um, was today's class different than you expected it or pretty much to be? what you expect it to be. About what I expected. Okay, I've got a, I've got one about what I expected. I, yeah. uh, I was just going to say, uh, we spent eight hours today, and I don't think we made it to the third century. Oh, no, 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 no. Are you kidding? No, 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 no. No, we are, we are barely into the second century, and we... We we haven't actually even gotten to the apologists, so we have just scratched the surface. There's there's no two ways about it. But I knew that that would be the case because I want to take the time to read some of the specific material from Ignatius and Clement, and and uh, I just realized uh, the first thing we've got to do tomorrow is do Diognetus um, because that's the best stuff that I know of in that time period, and we didn't even get to that today. Goodness, I will forget stuff uh, because there's there's too much to cover. There there just there just really is. Um, but when I started off talking about uh, my background, which did not raise me to have any concern about church history, um, how many of you felt like you had a similar background to myself? That's that's vast majority. That's vast majority. Yeah, um, that's what I I want to. At the very least, I want this class to help erase that and to build a connection to those people that, um, well, many of whom gave their lives and many of whom suffered greatly. When we, um, when we get to Cyprian, uh, I will read you a, a letter that is... It continues to be hard for me to read it after having read it probably 20 times in various contexts without tearing up. It, it, it is that uh, amazing to get that connection. And uh, Rich was with me once when I sort of felt that connection as well when we, when I debated Jerry Maddox in 1993 in Denver, Colorado, we did seven hours of debate on the papacy over two nights while the pope was in town he didn't attend unfortunately but um he would have been welcome and would have enjoyed his participation would have been fun um but uh we uh we visited the papal treasures exhibit and they had uh a display of the actual manuscript at least one page of the actual manuscript p72 I told you about it this morning. And I'm sure you all remember that. And he wrote it down. <clears throat> right? Okay. Um, but the connection that I felt in looking at that piece of papyrus to someone who lived 1,800 years earlier and yet who loved the word of God enough to make a copy of it for, him, for himself uh, was really special. And it helps us when we see those things, it helps us to remember that when we 
we believe that Christ is fulfilling his promises to build his church today, we are still a part of that. And I've seen that desire for connection to the early church abused and turned into something that was negative. But on the other hand, when you use it as a recognition of Christ's faithfulness after all these years, um, it can be a tremendous encouragement. And as we face a very, I don't like to use the term uncertain future because actually we know the future is certain. It's in Christ's hands and he's, he's going to accomplish his purposes. But between now and then, whatever your eschatology is, um, there could be some very, very, very trying times. And to be assured of the fact that Christ is building his church and I'm a part of it. What does, you know, what does that mean? I'm a part of it. Uh, it's one thing, you know, we talk about this seminary, we talk about taking stands for truth, and uh, we talk about how we've got all these students coming from all sorts of different places because of a commitment to the centrality of biblical sufficiency. But we're a part of a much, much, much larger picture, much, much, much larger purpose. And on the one hand, that can make you feel so small that you don't matter, but that's not the case. Your, your role is absolutely just as central as anyone else's. And I've often wondered, the guy that copied P72, could he have had any idea when he was copying that manuscript that 1,800 years later, it would be an encouragement to someone like me? He could have had any idea of that. I think about that so often when I look at at people, and we're gonna we're gonna tell, I'll give you a heads up. We're gonna tell the story of two subdeacons from the year three hundred three. There are a few dates that you all do need to remember for a certain final examination. Everybody who's ever listened to my, I've done church history classes in the past, and. Everybody knows, I say this to every church history class, and I'm telling you this as an official part of the class. There is one date you absolutely have to know for the final examination, and that is the date of the Council of Nicaea, which is AD 325. Tattoo it on your brain because you need to know it. Now, we're going to know more about the Council of Nicaea than just simply the date. Anybody happen to know the traditional number of bishops at the Council of Nicaea? 318. Very close. We had we had 308. That's that's close enough for a cookie. Um, and <laughs> so uh, but this date is is close to that. It's 303, May of 303. Two subdeacons are arrested and brought before a Roman official, and he wants to know where the scriptures are. He wants to know where the manuscripts are. They say, we're not the readers. Only the readers would have those. We're just subdeacons. We don't know. Well, who are the readers? And they say, uh, we are not traitors. Do with us as you will. That's the only historical evidence of their existence. And they were executed. We know their names. That's all we know about it. We don't know how old they were, where they came from, whether they were married, whether they had children, nothing. For one little brief moment, but you got to realize for 99.999% of all Christians in history, that's more than they ever got. We don't know their names. But remember the book of Revelation? You know what I'm talking about? The martyr's souls under the altar. How long? Be patient. How long? God doesn't forget. He knows exactly who that. We only know a few names. And we can speculate. And I like to think about, you know, were they married? Did they have children? How would that impact me if I were in their position? I think about my grandkids. 
what what if what if you're you're put in a position here in the United States where you either stand firm or if you do stand firm, you will not see your grandchildren again. Most of you are grandparents. Almost nobody in here old enough. Maybe. <laughs> yes, no, maybe. Not yet. Hoping for. Okay, there you go. Um, but don't look at me and tell me that that would not weigh upon a person's mind. That if you stand firm, you're, you'll never see them again. Because I, I want to see them grow up. I want to see them get married. Man, I'd like to actually live long enough to see my great-grandchildren. I think that would be pretty awesome. Though at about that age, it's like, oh, okay, that's, that's enough. Uh, I'm not sure how Methuselah handled it. I mean, can you imagine? Oh, great, 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 grandchildren. I can't remember any of them anymore. What are you talking about? And I, you know, how in the world could you keep up with the birthday presents for a family like that? It's just like, wow. But seriously, though, I just think of those two subdeacons to just pop in and pop out. And could they have known that their sacrifice could have an impact 1,700 years later? Could never, they've never even thought of it. Would never even thought of it. But they wouldn't betray their fellow believers. There's going to be lots of possibilities in the future of our having to think about stuff like that. And church history allows us to do that. Church history allows us to have that opportunity of stepping back and it it functions as a mirror because if the spirit of God was in them, the spirit of God is in us. It's one of the few times that we can have somewhat of a, of a distance to look at ourselves and to think of ourselves in that way. And that's why I think church history is so completely uh, necessary for a well-rounded theological education. And of course, as I said, so much of our language was developed back then. You're going to be surprised at some at, at some of those developments. I think as we as we dive into it, we think about Nicaea and we think about Trinitarian stuff and, and stuff like that. But there was more than that. The, the 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 form and shape of the church and the function of the church and um, ordinances and sacraments and and all those things. All that development started back then and. We can either just simply do what most of us have done and say, it didn't matter. They messed it all up anyways. Um, or we can go, no, it, it does matter. And I, I need to look at those things. So how many of you, um, sit back here a little bit. Uh, how many of you are uh, already actively involved as pastors in churches? And how many of you are moving that direction? Right. That's that pretty much covers everybody. Um, So. How much do you know about the history of. Your own churches, your own. uh, Well, I suppose we could talk about Reformed Baptist as a whole. There's a lot to be. There's a lot that can be studied there, a lot of names, things like that. But. in the, in the in the cities where you are, would you say that your churches are representative of of evangelicalism, or, or are they sort of in the minority uh, in being reformed and things like that? Anyone? Minority. minority? Elements of both. Okay. Um, when you, uh, when you look at pastors in your, in your area, would you, would you say, um, would you say that the majority have a serious perspective on theology or is it more of a sensitive type of a context? A lot of secret, yeah. pragmatic, secret sensitive. 
So that puts you in a, how many of you would say you feel like you have at least three close relationships <clears throat> with ministers outside of your own church? Okay. In your area, I mean, right? Okay. All right. Well, that's, that's good. Uh, how many of you wish you had more? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Um, uh, and of course, I would think that that would be an opportunity for us to be a light and to encourage others in maybe reading some books and, and getting some resources that would be of assistance to them as well. We're going into a, uh, well, we are in the middle of a political season. How many of you feel um, pressured? about how you are going to handle dealing with the key sociological, theological issues that are very much a part of the, the current election cycle? How many of you feel pressure that you need to address these issues in a ministerial fashion? No one? One? I mean... I'll just I'll say personally it's huge. Um, I am a software engineer in Austin, Texas. Okay. So it, it's a uh, liberal mecca. Austin, Texas. Yes. They allow Christians there. <laughs> I mean, I mean that that is the biggest blue dot in the state of, of Texas that there is. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be a certain very large um, in the church, and we are very commonly attacked as the. Calvinist church. A rock band mega church. It is liturgically different, and I'm sure most of us are used to it. One of my best friends is John Cooper. What do you want? <laughs> most everybody's going, who? <laughs> Does anybody, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm going to let you finish, but how many of you don't know who John Cooper is? Okay, how many of you are simply not raising your hand because you do not want a camera aimed at you ever <laughs> during? Okay, there, uh, there's an honest man in the back. Very good. Very, very good. Okay, so I'm going to stop asking questions. because uh, So all of you know John Cooper? Okay, Skillet. All right, good. You're just all staring at me like, I'm not, I'm not going to answer a word this guy's saying. So, so you know, you, and you know John, right? Um, not personally, but you yeah, know who? Yes. Okay, all right, all right. So you're in a rock, when, when you say a rock band megachurch, how would people in Austin confuse that with Calvinism? Um, people attend. People attend and listen to the preaching. And so the preaching is reformed. Very cool. Uh, formerly uh, led by Dr. Matt Carter, he's written uh, "Steal Away Home." It's a book about Spurgeon and his fight uh, and slavery in the oh. uh, UK. And cool. Super reformed. I taught. Um, systematic theology from Wayne Rudin, systematic theology at my local church. Um, well, there are some people that just dismiss you immediately upon saying that. <laughs> but I will, not necessarily in here, I'm just simply saying somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> I like to think of us as being on mission to the post Christian nation. Gotcha. Well, Austin, yeah, definitely, uh, is just so weird to me. Uh, I think most of the, most of the leftists in Austin sort of feel like they're surrounded, and so they develop a siege mentality uh, mm -hmm. there. Uh, unlike Portland, Seattle, San Francisco, where they own everything, and it sort of works the other direction. So, so you would feel a pressure with the election because you're on, you're in a blue, you're in a massively blue spot in the middle of a red state and so you're against you're running against the the flow i get that um but how about anybody else did uh, let's put it this way are you dealing with social issues such as transgenderism definition of marriage um Genetic manipulation, uh, vaccine mandates. Are you dealing with things differently in 2022 than you did in 
2014. Yeah. Well, I would say probably going a little more hard on those issues just because of the fact that they're so prevalent now, but also there's people in our church who, if, if you dare to tie that to a political party, they get offended. And it's like, it's so obviously political. Right. It's so obviously political on the left, but there's people in our church who just are offended by, you can't talk about who to vote for because you're a pastor. So what you're, what you're saying is, um, even though the media is so plainly biased and even though leftist churches are have have absolutely no <laughs> compunction whatsoever about about doing that there's still very much the idea that even though it has theological ramifications you can't talk about it from the pulpit in the church at least not in the sense of being able to address the issues that you can't say. Yeah, so you you can address you can address the issues, but you just can't say who's actually representing the issues. Which, okay, you know, sort of like, well, we all know uh, what that, what that means. Yeah, but yeah, I I get it. Um, anybody else? I mean, this just seems to be when I talk to folks, at least, uh, and maybe this is the difference when I talk to folks privately. This is a big, big issue, but yeah. So I want to say something. This is, I think, the uh, the homosexuality and the transgenderism issue that's going on. I think there's been an emboldening that's happened in the church uh, this last Pride Month that happened in June. Oh, June. Well, it was the first time I'd seen many, many pastors step up and speak out more boldly. Yeah. Uh, I actually did a, a post talking about uh, the fallacy of the pride flag. And had over 15,000 likes on Instagram and tons of comments and tons of shares. There's a little bit more aggression, I would see, in the Christian church than there was in previous years. I think we've realized finally that it wasn't, you know, in the, in the 70s, it was, you know, we just want acceptance. And then it was, we just want toleration. And, and now it's, it's uh, you know, uh, it's celebration and it's like condemnation that you don't. I mean, right. it's this trend that I think has happened. And I think that pastors are finally realizing if we don't stop and push back now, it's just going to, we're just going to get pushed further and further back. And so there's just been a, I think an intense, um, an intensity and a magnification of pushback yeah. uh, that has been enlivened. I, I think that COVID purified the church in a unique way. Um, purified, that, that's an interesting term. Yeah, how, uh, how would you define that? Uh, I think that it, it brought, um, Clarity of of where people were at, maybe things that were unsaid in previous years were forced to be said. It also revealed who had spine to stand up against government mandates uh, and where their loyalties laid. But um, I think that there was some sort of resistance for the first time in my lifetime to the American evangelical church, which I believe actually produced some emboldening that I hadn't seen before right. in my generation. Yeah, see, I was, I was raised in a milieu um, that would that would basically say uh, you never make political statements from the from the pulpit, and we we believe in the myth of neutrality that uh, we could be neutral on these things, and the church was never going to be a threat, or the, the government was never going to be a threat to us, and, and and stuff like that. But everything's changed so much over the past few years that I think a lot of people are still trying to get reoriented to the, well, you can't get reoriented to a landscape that's changing constantly. And that, that for us older folks, that's the tough part. You younger folks, you've grown up in a world where you expect it to be different next month than it is this month. And I, most of my life was lived, you know, next Last year is going to be pretty much the same as this year and next year and everything else. Um, so you're used to the the ground shaking under your feet. I I don't know that I can ever adjust to that. It, it's it's hard. Um, but it's I've had to come to realize that you 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 can't just keep your mouth shut. And interestingly enough, 
I was I was saying in 2000 um, that the homosexual movement was not asking for equal rights. It was asking for uber rights. Yeah. And I had a lot of people who said, ah, you're, you're just overreacting, you're, you know, stuff like that. And, and now we see it's not even uber rights. It's you will capitulate to us and you will celebrate us. And you will not open your mouth to criticize us or say anything, or you will be fired, canceled. Your bank will will make it impossible for you to get your money out. Uh, we won't we won't honor credit card charges and donations to your ministry and everything else. It's just astonishing where it's gone. But it, it really, in hindsight, we should have gone. Well, duh. Where, where else could it have gone? There's no stopping point. There's it's not a slippery slope. It's a cliff. There, there's no place to stop at a cliff. It's it's just going all the way. Some people say they're going to overplay their hand. And there's going to be a reaction. But that assumes that they don't already control the media and the educational system. And my big concern is when I talk to young people today, and I'd be asked, interested if any of you have university ministries. When I talk to young people, they're statists. And what I mean by statist is they believe the state exists to make them happy. And therefore, they look to the state for everything. The state has to, uh, has to solve every problem. And so they're, they're, they have no ground to understand what it means to be self-sufficient and to handle things for yourself. How do you get someone like that to vote? To limit the power of the state because their status it's, it's become their ultimate authority uh that's that's the big concern that i have is outside of a, a massive work of the spirit of god we are up against a, an incredible incredible barrier any of you do university stuff go on university campuses um you do oh. uh, friends That's true. That's true. And it's it's really the the open thing Christ that comes and into that. So it nothing makes sense that everybody understands there's chaos, but it, it everything is supposed to be in the air flying blowing up. Yeah. That that's just how it is until the gospel is presented or the Lord's grace is shown, common grace. Um in marriage or in friendships where you see, oh, why do you talk to me like this? Or why, why do you even talk to me like this? Yeah, self-sacrifice? Why, why would someone sacrifice for somebody else? Why would somebody serve somebody else? We can definitely show that uh, to this younger generation, but uh, it is a huge challenge. It is such a huge challenge to be able to explain what's going on in the world around us um and in the church i mean let's let's go ahead and and mention it um i've i've never seen the kind of division the ease of division that we are experiencing um in the church today and i've i've sort of explained it by saying a unified healthy church is a blessing on a nation Therefore, if our nation is under the judgment of God, we can expect this kind of division and have to learn how to be faithful in the midst of that kind of division. But at the same time, when you look at the early church, they found division to be the greatest scandal, even when they were under the greatest pressure from outside. So they're being persecuted. 
and they still believe that division is a heinous sin before God that is to be avoided. So sometimes I wonder if we've just gotten so used to being divided. So used to, I don't like it here, I'll go find someplace else. Don't like you do things, I'll start a new church. It really makes me wonder if we've just gotten so used to it that we don't even think about the possibility of what it would be like to have a unified testimony to the world. Because the division, think about it in our own, in our own culture. Every t- uh, um, there's a movie coming out. How many of you have heard of the 1946 movie? One, two, just two? Nobody else. Okay, good. I'm glad so that I can warn you. <laughs> You're, you, will, you will hear and be warned now. There's a movie coming out called 1946. The thesis of the film is that homosexuality did not exist in the Bible until it was put in there by the Revised Standard Version Committee in 1946 when they, tran- they mistranslated the Greek term arsenokoites or arsenokoitai in the plural in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And in, uh, that's a good idea. Very good. In first Corinthians chapter six and in first Timothy one ten, And so the whole idea is there is no biblical foundation for a, uh, resistance to, or a conviction, a conviction against homosexuality. And so they're going to be interviewing these scholars and all the rest of this stuff. You've, I, I would imagine you've seen the memes and the videos on TikTok of the, where people have been promoting this idea. It really has an impact. And in fact, the first time I addressed it on the dividing line was because one of the uh, members of Skillet contacted me and said, how do we respond to this? And so I did a whole segment on the dividing line on it. And then it just kept blowing up and happening more and more and more. And so I've done even longer segments uh, demonstrating what the New Testament actually says on that particular subject. But that involves understanding Greek lexicography and the development of lexicons and how we do all that kind of stuff. That's, how, that's why they get away with it. That's how they, they can use that type of complexity to silence Christians, because that's what they're seeking. They're seeking to silence Christians. If we don't know how to defend it, then we'll maybe not say it as loudly. But there's an example of, of a, a belief, a, a, what we, I, I grew up and we didn't talk about this stuff in church. That's not the stuff you talk about in church. You don't talk about homosexuality in church. That'll offend somebody. And so as normal, the church ends up behind the eight ball. We, we're always responding. We're, ne- we're not ahead of the curve. We're always behind the curve. And so there's an example of how we can try to say God's word says this, and the enemy always has somebody who claims to be a Christian on the other side to be able to say, oh, no, he doesn't. Oh, no, he doesn't. That division results in us not having a unified voice to be able to say, you want to know why judgment's coming upon our nation? Here's why. How can that even happen when you have so many people who call themselves Christians who will deny that there is any such thing as a grounds for God judging this nation? Um, So that division is a, we've just become used to it. We really, really have. And it is a, it's not, it's, I was going to say it's not a blessing, and in that context, it's not. But at the same time, um, I did preach a sermon once called, um, what was it called? The Blessing of Apostasy. The Blessing of Apostasy. And what I meant by that was in first, when, when John says First John 2, 9, they went out from us so it might be demonstrated they're not truly of us. It's a horrible thing when unbelievers stay in the church and drag down our witness and our witness to the world, you would think that the clarity of the proclamation of the gospel would be enough to drive out the, the driftwood. Uh, but sometimes there are those that just want to, they, they, they get stuck and they want to stay there. 
I'm not exactly sure why. There is a, a, a blessing to the purification of the church. Someone said, you know, the church has been purified. Well, the dividing lines have been made clearer, but I think there are still more to be, to be discovered along the way. I really do. Um, so how many of you are excited about choosing a paper topic for early church history? Okay. We're all like, I'll put my hand up. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> Let me tell you something. This may not work for everybody, but there are sections of chapters in my book on the Trinity that were originally papers in seminary. And when I chose topics in seminary, I already knew what I was going to be doing. So that's helpful. And I thought to myself, what can I write for this class that will have the longest utility, that the most benefit, <clears throat> not for me to get a grade in a class, but to provide to others. So, for example, I did a, a, a paper called uh, The Trinity and the Definition of Chalcedon and Oneness Theology. I had to go to my professor, ask for an extension to do longer, to, to, to write longer than, than he had, he had uh, given us uh, because it was a big topic. I haven't found too many professors who are unwilling to do that, actually. Uh, you, you like when you find somebody in your class so excited about your subject that they're probably more excited than you are uh, on the subject. Um, but that paper has been, I've used that for, for quite some time. And it's, it's still available on our website. Part of it's in the Forgotten Trinity. And I've, you've seen it in debates that I've done with oneness advocates. And so when you are thinking about your paper topic for the class, um, I challenge you to think along those lines. Uh, maybe think about where you, where you are in, in the church right now. Um, what can you do to make your study something that won't just have a benefit at the end of the class, but that what you produce, maybe not the paper itself, but you could produce something from it that could have immediate positive impact in your church. Um, I would, I would encourage you to, like during the next two days, um, my hope would be that as we're covering something, as we're talking about something, all of a sudden you go, man, that's something that's really, really important. That's something that my people need to know, or that's something that there's that group in my church and boy, they would really be excited about that. Make a note of it and think about how you could, could it takes time to write a good research paper. And if you're going to invest that time, why not have it useful 10 years down the road? Right? I, mean, I, I just think that's, a, that's how I did it. And I got a lot of enjoyment out of seminary. And it also, by the way, and you may feel this way even today, having finished class, you may be feeling, man, I wish I had a better professor than we've got. Um, and one of the best ways to actually do that because I almost all of my professors were way to my left way to my left my my systematic theology professor oh my goodness oh my goodness um his big area of expertise was process theology Dr. Johnson is looking at me with the, <laughs> with the with the look of oh I'm not sure we want you teaching. Um, his big thing was process theology, whitehead and, and God going, the universe going in and out of existence and God absorbing the good and sloughing off the bad. And, but I will give him this credit. He, he presented the process theology perspective and this is how he did everything. He would present the one side, and then he would present a critique of it, and then he'd never tell you what he actually believes. Sort of driving me crazy. Um, but he presented the process theology thing, and he was really good at it. He really did understand it. 
And then his first critique of, critique, critique of it was, now the first obvious problem with process theology is that the God of process theology looks absolutely nothing like the God of the Bible. <laughs> now he didn't then say, and therefore this is all heresy, but because uh, he really couldn't do that. But uh, he, he made it pretty clear that, yeah, the God of process theology is just pure philosophy and the God of the Bible is nothing like that. And, uh, and you know, so that's how far to the left a lot of my uh, professors were. But if I was excited about the class anyways, I could still learn. There are a lot of people to the left that are really smart. And sometimes they see things that we don't see. And so you can take those insights and they, they'll get you lots and lots of facts. And you can run with it and do good stuff with it and not be limited by um, the fact that you have disagreements with that individual. So if, no, it's not going to happen to you here, obviously. But if you do find yourself in a educational situation where you're having to learn from somebody who's not quite exactly on your wavelength that's what i'd suggest you do i got a lot out of seminary even though everybody was way off to one side of it i did have some fun along the way like the one class in the pentateuch where and i've told the story before but that's all right um where we had to write reviews of these commentaries uh we had to uh, who is that guy? He came out three weeks ago on homosexuality and said that the Bible really doesn't have any one particular view. Um, oh, drat. Pretty well-known uh, Old Testament name, and it's just escaping me at the moment. Um, it's been a long day. And um, uh, I remember I had to read his commentary on uh, Genesis but I had to read Gerhard von Roth's commentary on Deuteronomy. I still remember what it looks like. It was that mustard green. Well, I guess it'd be mustard yellow. Uh, if it's mustard green, you probably don't shouldn't eat it. Um, but the mustard mustard yellow commentary, I think, on Deuteronomy by Gerhard von Gerhard von Roth. And you're supposed to write a review and give positive and negative stuff about it. And so I wrote my review. And the positive section said, this commentary has a very nice binding. <laughs> and then I moved into the negative part. Um, now, that was a risk because the professor had held all these up and said, I feel like this is the best commentary in English available right now. But I got a 98 on it because when I critiqued it, I doubt he agreed with my critique. But what he saw was I had actually read the commentary. I had read it fairly and was interacting with it that way. So I did have some fun with some of that. Um, though most of it was more like the day in class where one of my favorite professors, but again, to my left, was explaining how Fuller had abandoned the view of inerrancy. And so I just had to put my hand up and give the other side basically and, and say why I sometimes feel like a bit of a freak here. And what was interesting was afterwards, a third of the class is tracking me down saying, you said what I've always wanted to say. So um, yeah, that was, that was an interesting providential uh, experience. So um, do you guys have any questions you'd like to, uh, ask to the entire audience of the dividing line in front of the entire audience of of the dividing line can the camera guy ask one can the camera guy ask one the camera guy can ask whatever he wants he's holding the camera you could turn around and stick it in your eyeball if you wanted to that would be pretty weird but what what have you found is the best way to begin teaching early church history uh i have done uh I have done that outside of a formal class situation. That is teaching early church history to a church. The hard part is, gonna, is, is to get in touch with the people who would actually want to do this, something like that. And they may not be, they may not know that they would benefit from that. That's the point. And so uh, a, a well thought out 
uh, flyer advertisement with some really cool quotes. Now, you, you'd know the character of your church. If it's a younger church, then you're going to be looking for a certain kind of quote. If it's a more mature church, you know, a little bit more stodgy, like, like Dr. Johnson. Um, when you, uh, I, just woke, I just woke him up. He was falling. I, I saw the head go in this direction, so I had to wake him up. Um, then you're going to use a different set, but you, you, a, a way to use some early church quotes or some facts from the early church or, uh, see, early church and later church are different. Um, so I would, I would focus upon, uh, some really cool quotes from Nicaea and stuff like that and say, did you know your belief in this or the other thing was deeply impacted by events from 1700 years ago? Uh, would you like to meet some really cool, neat dead guys? Um, then you need to come Thursday night at such a time, something along those lines. And you'll, you'll get a few, you'll, you'll get the P you'll get a larger turnout at the beginning than you'll have at the end. Um, but like I said, the later church, boy, there's a lot of stuff you can do. There's a lot of stuff you can do. One of the sad things about teaching this class is I can't tell you the story of Munster. How many of you heard me tell the story of Munster? One, two, three, four. Okay. Four. Um, was that on was that on Sheologians? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh if you want to hear the wildest, craziest story of church history, bar none, there is nothing crazier than this. Wilder than this, more insane than this. Um, go look up my my daughter has a webcast called Sheologians. It's very popular. It's amazing. I was a G3 when I would especially when women would come up to me, I would go, so do you, do you know my, my oh, sheologians, listen to it all the time. It's like, yeah, that's great. Uh, years ago, I was in Belfast, Northern Ireland, talking to a group of Irish people. And I, I mentioned sheologians and like two thirds of the, no, one, one, one third, uh, one third of the audience said, yeah, we listen to sheologians. Like, wow, okay, in Ireland, all right, cool. She used to be James White's daughter. Now you're Summer's dad. That's right. That's right. I'm Summer's dad, and and she's yeah. That's just true, uh, and that's fine with me. Uh, that 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 works well. But I in January of 2019, I was in Munster at the New Testament Institute there, um, doing an interview about CBGM and and uh, stuff like that. And uh, so I got to I got to take pictures of the cathedrals there and the three cages that are still hanging there. And so I went on Sheologians when I got back and I, we did a two-part series where I told the story of, and it takes that long to tell the story of Munster. If I can encourage you to do this, if, if a major movie studio simply took the factual outline of what happened, they would not have to create any new characters. They would not have to embellish anything. If they just simply told the story as it happened, it would be a blockbuster. It'd be a blockbuster. No one would believe it actually happened, but it would be a blockbuster. You, it is that unbelievable. Mm -hmm. I can just see if you're, if you know the story, Jan Mathis and his, followers racing out toward 5,000 soldiers on their horses, assured that God was going to give them deliverance, and they being absolutely massacred in front of everyone watching from the walls. What a scene that would be. Wow. They wouldn't have to CGI anything. It would just be astonishing. So church history can provide you some really cool stuff like that. So if you were doing like Reformation church history, wow, you can do a lot with that. I mean, you could make some really, you could get some people really excited about that if you if you wanted to. Um, but we'll have to do that at another at another time. Uh, maybe when we, I don't honestly, this is shocking to me, and I hate to put you under pressure, but maybe somebody else can help because you have some other people from the staff back there. But what are the required history classes? This is this is one right early church history. 
uh-oh, when you see when you see them all looking at each other, uh, then you realize, yeah, we're not sure about that. Um, is there a medieval reformation? Reformation. Just reformation. We just skip the medieval period? We just, come on, that's where Thomas is. We, when do you cover Thomas? <laughs> or are we not covering Thomas? <laughs> I, I, I can just see your hair messed up a little bit more with a wild eye look. We're not doing Thomas. <laughs> uh, no, you have to do it. Normally, it's it's up to 600 and then 600 through the Reformation and then modern church. That's normally how it's how it's divided up. So, um, but Reformation stuff, oh man, you can, I would have so many pictures up on the screen for that because I've been all over Germany and stuff like that, taking pictures. It would just be way too much fun. Way too much fun. Well, anyway, believe it or not, guys, it's been, well, some of you are all going, yes, we know it's been an hour. Uh, it's been an hour, and uh, uh, I, I know that some of the comments may have been a little bit hard to hear, but you can turn the volume up. That's that's what the internet's for. Uh, but uh, pray for us uh, for the rest of the class, uh, for me, for strength, and for the class uh, simply to stay awake, uh, because they will have a final exam. And it will it will test their knowledge of the subject and hopefully get to go home and share this with other people. And then I get to go home. I left my home on September 6th, and I believe it's September 29th. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the old homestead. And um, I'm not going to recognize my own house because while I was gone, solar panels were installed on the roof. So. My wife is not happy that I was not there for that, but their problem is once you sign up for that, they don't care what the schedule is and they, aren't, they ain't going to tell you. Uh, we are definitely discovering that right now, that it's just sort of like, well, we'll get there when we want to on our schedule and we don't care what your schedule is. So that's sort of how that's working out. Uh, but I'm looking forward to getting getting home and uh, uh, it will be probably like 103 degrees when I get there, but uh, it will eventually cool off. Um, We've had we've had 103 up till October. Was it 31st? Yeah, I, it it does not cool off in Phoenix until November. So believe me, we enjoy every cool day because there's not very many of them. Uh, we really do. But anyways, gentlemen, thank you for sitting around uh, for that uh, conversation. Having listened to me for about seven hours today, anyways, that's pretty astonishing that you do this, but. Uh, and for everybody else, um, look up Grace Bible Theological Seminary online. See what, uh, see what we're all about here. Uh, I think you'll find uh, the program to be very challenging and very useful to you as well. And we didn't this time interview uh, Dr. Strand, Dr. Johnson, and stuff like that because we just wanted to give them some time off. And besides that, um, I got Dr. Johnson out of bed really early this morning because he had to give me a ride. And I... I'm just getting the feeling you may not be an early morning type guy. I'm, I'm just really not sure. I, I may have ruined his day today. So, and and thank you to uh, Herr Dr. Messerschmidt uh, for uh, holding. He's literally holding the camera. Uh, I, I don't have the stand for it. So uh, he is being a cameraman uh, today. And so we appreciate you doing that. So thanks for listening to the dividing line today. We will, I have no idea when in the world we will do another program. And I know that there are really controversial things happening. I just didn't think it was appropriate to uh, address those controversial things sitting here right now with everybody else sitting around, even though they're all probably going, oh, drat. Um, but we will, we will get to it. I know what's going on. I heard, yeah, okay. We'll give it a few more days before we talk about things happening, and we'll go from there. So we'll see you next time. Thanks a lot. God bless.